Hello everybody, greetings and salutations. Today we begin, uh, what is it, episode number 180 in our studies together, uh, and we're covering the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Uh, this, this is another good one. Uh, well, let's just go ahead and dig in here. Uh, Christ uh, begins talking about the Sabbath once again. Here we are. Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, 14, 14, verse 1. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat dinner in the home of a leader of the Pharisees, and the people were watching him closely. Now, now we've gone over before where the Pharisees would um, invite Christ to dinner, and this wasn't... Uh, this wasn't done out of love. They invited him to their homes for dinner to try to find fault with him, and Christ knew that. Okay, verse 2, there was a man there whose arms and legs were swollen. Uh, certain translations will uh, describe this as dropsy, which was an older term for uh, what we today call edema, which is swelling in the tissues, often in the feet and the legs. Verse 3, Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in religious law, is it permitted in the law to heal people on the Sabbath day or not? When they refused to answer, Jesus touched the sick man and healed him and sent him away. Now you see here, uh, the religious leaders couldn't find any fault in his question, okay? And so they refused to answer. And since they refused, Christ went ahead and healed the man. Verse 5, Then he turned to them and said, Which of you doesn't work on the Sabbath? If your son or your cow falls into a pit, don't you rush to get him out? Again, they could not answer. Now, what Christ was doing here is if their cow or if part of their herd fell into a pit, they would immediately go and rescue it. And why would they do so? Because their, their animals are worth money to them. And so what Christ was teaching here is that, yes, they would rescue their animals because that's money, but they wouldn't heal a man. Why? because it was against the Sabbath law. Their priorities were not straight. Their inability to admit their own faults was their downfall. And that's something that exists dramatically today. Uh, I, I have uh, people that I know that will go around and, and try to find fault with others and say, this is what's wrong with you, or that's what's wrong with you. And you try to help them. And they, they try to change the narrative and turn it around on the person that loves them enough to help them. And that's pride that gets in their way. We have to be able to admit our own faults. Why? So we can correct them because it is our job to try to correct ourselves so that we can walk closer towards the path of righteousness as Christ intends for us to do. He wants us to do 
you know, I was just reminded of, um, gosh, what is that verse? Uh, here it is. Here it is. You see, another thing Christ was getting at here is that um, the acts of mercy, the acts of love, uh, should never cease from our hearts. Okay? And the verse I was trying to remember is uh, here in John. I don't, I hate to say my favorite gospel, but the gospel of John just really speaks to my heart. And uh, here it is, John chapter 5, starting around, matter of fact, let's, let's back up a little bit to uh, verse 16. Um, so the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking Sabbath rules. But Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him, for he had not only broke the Sabbath, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. Matter of fact, I'm going to read a little more. So Jesus explained, this is verse 19. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing man, then you will be truly astonished. I could read on because I just love it when I just love everything Christ says. But what I was getting at here before we, we moved on to another verse in, in uh, Luke is that our hearts should always, always love. Our hearts should always be merciful. And when I look at the people that I've met in my life and I know in my life that I care for, uh, some of them just, just can't acknowledge their own faults. And people say, we're not to judge others. And that's partially true. We're not supposed to judge the intent of the heart, but we're supposed to show each other how to improve ourselves. That's that's part of love, and I've gone over it before, and we'll go over it uh, many more times. But to those whose hearts, you see, your hearts can not only be hardened against God, your hearts can not only be hardened against the Holy Spirit, your hearts can be hardened against yourselves, and to not opening your hearts to self-improvement, to criticism that comes out of love to guidance that comes out of love. I've grown a lot in my life and, and I have a lot more to grow. We all do because we're all sinners. We're all broken. Uh, but my heart yearns for the day 
when people will truly love one another and truly try to lift each other up. If, if you see someone falling and, and you catch them and you try to help them back up and onto the right path, that, that's love. But if you are constantly critical about someone else because of your own faults, that's actually sin. And uh, we really need to grow ourselves. And I pray that we all do. I have a lot of growing to do. And I hope everyone listening can, can open their heart to improvement through the love of a friend. Okay. Now, I, we need to, to continue. Uh, yeah, here we go. Verse 7. Oh, this is another good one. Verse, isn't Christ awesome? Verse 7, when Jesus noticed that, oh, remember, he's at a dinner uh, at, uh, at, at the house of a Pharisee. Uh, the Pharisee did not invite him out of love, but out of a desire to, to try to prove him as not being who and what he was to find fault. That was the faults of, of, of the lawyers and the Pharisees, uh, the lawyers of the Sadducees. The Sanhedrin that I mentioned time and again is the ruling council that, well, it used to exist. It doesn't exist anymore. Let's see. Uh, the temple fell uh, in AD 70 when Titus Caesar uh, raided Jerusalem. Uh, verse 7. So when Jesus, when Jesus, when I need a drink again, I apologize. Heavenly Father, please help my voice as we teach your truth today. Verse 7. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you are invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then you will be embarrassed and you will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Now, what I envision happening here is, is Christ was invited to the dinner. And so all the people are there and he sees them. He sees them fussing around trying to find the best seat. You see, and that, that's, that's another great fault in man is they will always try to validate themselves through the approval of other men. But we should not try to find self-validation or approval from man. We should try to find approval from God. You see here, Christ speaking up like this was probably not uh, politically correct or whatever is the right word to use here. Okay, He's speaking up in front of everyone at a dinner that he was invited to. But that is the nature of Christ, to always speak the truth. And, and people today hate that. They despise that. And, and many say that's one of my faults because I'm not afraid to speak the truth in front of other people. And I struggle with that because we are supposed to live like Christ. And so if you speak the truth in front of others, as Christ did, is that wrong? Okay. 
And people will debate that. And when they debate that, they try to bring in cultural relevances. Okay? Uh, an example would be the woke culture that we live in today. The woke culture that we live in today is wrong. It is against God. Because what it does is it condones actions that are wrong in the eyes of God. Our first loyalty must be to the truth, to the Word, to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay? All right. Verse 10. Christ continues, Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, as I sit here and I think about this, the seat of honor is obviously the head of the table. Okay, for example, growing up, my father always sat at the head of the table. And there's a lovely story I would love to tell, but I can't. But I will change the story. Someone who was at dinner one time wanted to sit at the seat of the table, at the head of the table. And I won't say who that person was. I will say that that person had longer hair. And this was in the uh, mid-70s, maybe around 76 or so. Uh, the reason I say the year 1976 is it was a bicentennial year, and I just happen to remember my father bought a, uh, bought a rug, for lack of better word, or cloth, or a banner, and he hung it in the family room that had a, a big Liberty Bell on it. So, uh, we uh, were not rich growing up, and right behind my father's head, at the head of the table, we had this old, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a window fan. It was one of those old steel window fans. And just a you know sturdy thing like like they used to make way back when. And my father relented and let this person with longer hair sit at the at the head of the table. And the person began, you know, uh, joyously expressing how this individual was sitting at the head of the table. And the fan happened to be on high because it was a summer day, and it was very hot. And that particular fan blew out the window. And so this person who demanded to sit at the head of the table instead of in the proper place, uh, their hair got caught in this fan and just wound up so much that the fan stopped running. Okay. And my father had to turn the fan off and struggle to get that person's hair out. And that's just something that always stuck with me. Here was an individual that wanted to sit in a place that they didn't belong. And where are the seats of honor? The first seat of honor is the head of the table in my family, for example, where my father sat. The next seat of honor is at the opposite end. End? 
of the table, and uh, that's where my mother would sit. And then the other children would sit uh, basically according to their ages, with the oldest sitting close to the father, and so forth. And so the seat that you should always choose is, is the middle between the two ends of the table. Okay? At least it used to be that way. If it's changed, I don't know. But uh, that's just a story that's always stuck with me. And Christ makes it clear. Take the least seat of honor, and uh, then you can be raised from that place, if the host chooses to do so. I, I just love this, this last verse. Uh, what is it? Verse 11. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And um, Christ was, Christ was a, uh, during his ministry, was a living example of self-renunciation, of, of humbling himself. As a matter of fact, there's a verse for that. Oh, gosh, what is it? Um, what is it? Uh, Philippians 2. Yeah, here we go. Philippians 2, uh, starting around verse 5. Watch this. This is beautiful. Um, yeah, here it is. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. You see, Christ had to lower himself to accept this vile vessel of flesh that we all reside in. Verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, that's uh, that's the Apostle Paul there, just, just a beautiful writer. Okay, let's continue. Now, remember, Christ is still at this dinner. Verse 12. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. 
Isn't Jesus in action just beautiful? You see, Christ was invited to this dinner, and he's looking around the table, and this is obviously a, a leader in the Pharisees. And this, this leader of the Pharisees uh, invited Christ and his other fellow brothers to this, this, this banquet, this, this luncheon, this dinner, because he intended to find fault with him, okay? In other words, with the king of kings. And so he invited all, all these, these brothers in the faith and probably rich people to witness this. And what does Christ do? Okay? He again puts them in their place. We should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Because then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you. Now here's a couple of things. What is this resurrection of the righteous? This resurrection of the just. This is the first resurrection. This is the resurrection of all true believers. It will take place at the rapture. Okay? Now, here in Scripture, Jesus Christ is speaking. How many churches around the world have dinners with honored guests have conferences with honored guests. And how many of these dinners and banquets have these religious leaders today invited the poor, invited the homeless to this dinner? If you were to place a percentage on this, what would that percentage be? Are they following the guidelines of our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I'm, uh, what am I? I just turned 56. And uh, I've lived alone for, well, a very, very, very long time. And I've never had a dinner or a, a banquet or, or anything like that. And uh, I, I pray that at some point God will will choose to, to grace me with, with the means of doing so. And I look forward to that. And, and I hope that I have the courage to invite those that are homeless. The town that I live in, uh, I don't even think we have any homeless people. I live in a very small town. But for those of you that are listening, if you, if you live in a city, try, try to get up the courage uh, as many times as you can, to look around where you live. Do you know of a homeless person? Can you invite them in to give them a dinner? Maybe let them have a hot shower? Uh, maybe give them some fresh clothes? Uh, maybe try to find a home for them? Uh, I don't know. But I pray that it's something that you might be willing to consider. Uh, but just, just look at Jesus in action. Time and again, he points out ways that we can improve ourselves. Here, 
Christ was giving advice to the very people that he knew would crucify him. But that very advice is something we can take to our own hearts and use to improve ourselves so that at that resurrection of the righteous, we will receive the rewards from the Father. But don't look at it as uh, the reason that you do it for rewards from your Father. Look to it as gaining approval from the Father. Oh, isn't Christ just awesome in everything that he teaches? Okay, now this next one. <laughs> I'm sorry, this next one is a great one. And it's it's uh, often misunderstood. Um, uh, how could we describe this? Uh, sometimes this is called the parable of the great feast. Uh, another way to think of it is the parable of excuses. And this is this is a great lesson um, from Jesus Christ. And let's go ahead and dig in here. All right. Uh, verse 15. Uh, remember, Christ is still at the dinner. And uh, Luke continues. Hearing this, I'm talking about uh, uh, at the resurrection of the righteous. This is where we just left off. Uh, God will reward uh, reward those for inviting those who could not repay. Okay, verse 15. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Okay, now... Uh, Jesus replied in verse 16, Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Okay, so before we go too much father, f further, uh, father, further, uh, what's going on here? Okay, well, Christ is giving an example of what? Okay, eating in the kingdom of God? Well, let's look at this more closely. God here prepared a great feast, okay? God is the man that prepared a great feast. And he sends his servant out to tell the guests dinner is ready. But they all begin making excuses. The first excuse is what? He just bought a field and must, must inspect it. Well, if the man bought the field, surely he saw the field before he bought it, therefore this excuse is false. Let's continue. Verse 19. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen, and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Well, here in verse 19, 
This man is putting what before dinner? Work. He's putting his work with his oxen before dinner. Verse 20. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. What is Christ saying here? This person is putting family before God. Okay, first, the excuse of the man buying a field. Well, obviously he saw the field before he bought it, so that's just a lie as an excuse. Verse 19, this person puts work before the banquet with the father and the last person puts family before the father okay so do you see a pattern beginning to form here okay god sent his son into israel as the prophesied messiah but they all rejected him for one reason or another they're not coming to dinner. So what does the father do? Let's see. Verse 21. The servant returned to his master. The, the, return, the servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full for none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Oh, what's going on here? Okay. The father sent the son to the nation of Israel. Many in the nation of Israel rejected him. What does God do next? Well, after the crucifixion, death, and resurrection, in other words, after the three-plus-year ministry, of Christ with his apostles, what happens? He sends them out throughout the world. The chosen people, the religious leaders themselves, and the nation of Israel rejected Christ. So Christ sent his representatives out to the Gentiles. What is a Gentile? One who is not a Jew. So the father sent his son, had his son send out his representatives throughout the entirety of the world. If the nation of Israel won't accept God's invitation, God invites all of humanity to his banquet. You see what's happening here? This is why it's the parable of excuses. God is not accepting excuses. If you don't want to come to his banquet, it's your own fault. Okay? The beautiful thing about Christ and his teachings is, is once you've been born again and that spirit grows within you, 
The more and more and more you read and learn, the more the Spirit fills you, the easier it is to see how crystal clear Jesus is and was with his teachings. Okay? It's not difficult to come into the kingdom of heaven. You simply have to humble yourself and admit that you are a sinner. And, and ask Christ for his help and his love and his forgiveness and make those very changes you know need to be done within yourself to improve yourself as we wait for that beautiful and glorious day of the rapture, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we leave this world before then, I pray that you help as many as you can before you leave so that the banquet held by our glorious Father will be filled with souls that love not only our Father, but each other, our glorious new family. Now, in this next section, um, there's, there's a verse in here that's probably the least liked verse, verse in all of Scripture. What we're dealing with here is what I call the winnowing. Uh, why do I call it the winnowing? Well, we are, uh, we're past the dinner now, and uh, Christ is out teaching again. And as would always happen, a large crowd begins following Jesus, and they all love him. And what he would do when he had this large crowd is begin to thin them out or winnow them. And that's what's going on here. He's teaching about if you really want to be a disciple of Christ, there's a cost to it. Okay? And here we go, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, Christ isn't saying that you literally must hate your family. He's saying by comparison, you must love him so much that you hate everyone else by comparison. Okay? Verse 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone else would laugh at you. 
they would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't finish it. Well, clearly what Jesus is doing here is saying, if you think you want to be his disciple, you better be sure before you begin. Okay, look at yourself. Can you really give up this world, material possessions, belongings? Can you give up everything about this life? Now, most people would say no. And my response to that is, you are foolish. And here's why I say that. This life is literally designed to be temporary. If you give up this life, this life is only a very, very short speck of nothing in the realm of eternity. So if you give up everything in this life, your reward is eternal life through Christ, okay? Christ continues in verse 31. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. Now, here's the verse that everybody overlooks and nobody likes. But Christ is being very, very crystal clear. Listen to Jesus Christ here in verse 33. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. If you are truly going to be the disciple that Christ demands, you cannot surround yourself with material wealth and material things. There are people who go through scripture and pick out Oh, Christ wants us to have this. Christ wants us to have that. No. Christ makes it absolutely crystal clear here. There is no equivocation. You must give up the things of this life if you are truly going to serve Jesus Christ. Period. Okay? This is Jesus speaking. Make sure you read the word for yourself. Ask yourself, what is the Spirit telling you is right, good, and true? Okay? Verse 34. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. A couple of things here. What is the salt in this little parable? The salt is a picture of a disciple. Okay. Uh, our knowledge of table salt today 
we can't think of it as losing its saltiness. But uh, back in the time that Christ was alive, salt was a little bit different. Okay, uh, in the Bible lands, uh, uh, salt was mixed with other things. Okay, in a container, and there could be a little bit of a residue of salt in that container uh, that existed after the mixing, or that could have sat around for a while, or could have uh, uh, sat out in the rain or something, and it, it lost its saltiness where it isn't any good anymore, and it would just be thrown away. Okay? Well, what Christ is doing here is painting a picture of a disciple who might start off well, and he might go out and, and do the work of Christ. He might go out and carry his own cross for Christ, but then he begins to lose his way. He, he loses his stamina. He loses his excitement in living his life for Christ. In other words, a disciple who turns his back on Christ and goes back on his vows. What good is that disciple to Christ? Okay. And this last verse, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Well, there's a lot of people that can hear the truth. Okay. Hear the words, but not let it flow to their heart. In other words, they're just like sounds in the distance, okay? They don't have the ability to hear the truth of the word because their heart is hardened, okay? They can't understand the truth. They can't see the truth. They can't comprehend the truth. And that's a truth that has been taught by Christ over and over again. Only when you're born again and have his spirit living within you can you fully and truly comprehend the truth of his word. Okay? And that is Christ teaching the winnowing the cost of being his disciple. That's the end of uh, chapter 14 in the Gospel of Luke. Oh, and the next chapter. Ooh, this next one is a good one. I can't wait to, to begin it. Uh, but for now, if you need to get a hold of me or would like to get a hold of me, feel free. Go to goodfriar.com. At the bottom, there's a little link. You click it, contact me. It brings up my email address for you, which is me at goodfriar.com. Feel free to write me about anything. Chastise me, ask for help, ask for someone to talk to, uh, ask me to help you with the scripture. I'm here for you in any way that I can serve you. Until we meet again, I, as always, will leave you with a blessing. Heavenly Father, as I raise my right hand, please extend your grace your love, your healing touch through me to your listeners as I bestow your blessing upon them from Numbers 624, 26.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks so much for listening. Until next time, God bless.